Happy July. Welcome into the Chiefs podcast. My name is Farzim Vesugian. And we've got a lot to get into here on this episode. A lot we've got to discuss here. Farzim Vesugian alongside Zach Stegnoff. If you guys want to interact with us on social media, I'm on Facebook, facebook.com slash Farzim Vesugian. Follow me on Twitter at Farzim21 and Zach at Z Stegnoff. You can also subscribe to the podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Podbean, and make sure you guys use our voicemail slash text line as well, 913-808-2119. I think I'm just going to call it a text line right now because nobody's calling in much, which is fine. I don't mind. I think texting is a lot better anyway. Uh, we do have a couple of texts. We will read those later on as well, 913-808-2119. A lot we're going to get into here. Uh, Tyree Kill met with the NFL. Some updates on that regard. And something that was interesting to me, Contract negotiations could resume pretty soon with Tyreek Hill. This past weekend was the 36-year anniversary tragic uh, death of Joe Delaney. We'll talk about that. Also, you'll not believe this. One man got his GoFundMe account fulfilled, and you would not expect the website that came through to help him fulfill that. So we'll talk about that and much more here on this episode. Real quickly, uh, before I bring Zach in here and before we get on with the show... Uh, I know everyone is aware of what's going on with the Kevin Keatsman situation. I know maybe you guys probably don't want to hear that, but look, it's a really significant story. If you go to NFL.com or, or ESPN.com, it is on uh, like the Chiefs section. It's, it's a pretty big story for many reasons, so we'll talk about that uh, in just a moment. We'll get into that, uh, and it's probably going to take up a good part of the show, so we'll get into that real shortly. Zach is joining me here on the podcast. Zach, how are you doing this week? I'm great, Fars. You know, it's exciting to uh, you know be back here and kicking off July right because here we are. You know, we're getting ever closer to training camp, and it's going to be exciting to see. Yeah, you're right. I forgot about that. This is the month of training camp, uh, but still got some time left before that. Uh, are you doing anything fun on the fourth this week? Absolutely. Uh, I've got you know a friend of mine. We grew up you know going to school together, and one of my best friends. His folks moved out to Paola, which is you know. For those of you who aren't from the Kansas City area, it's far south. It's a little more country. Uh, to those of you who are from Paola, yes, that's what it is. Uh, and we're going out there and blowing stuff up, so it's always a great time. I have not done the whole blowing stuff up thing in a long, I would say, at least four or five years. Uh, I mean, I, I'm going to be in Vegas this weekend for uh, UFC International Fight Week. Second year in a row I'm doing that, which I'm super excited about. So I'll be at UFC 239. Uh, but I'm usually traveling on the 4th. Um, uh, yeah, I, I've not done the fireworks thing in a in a long time. Have you ever had any close calls, like a Jason Pierre-Paul type of situation? Or not, J- uh, who is the guy who's... Yeah, Jason Pierre-Paul is the one you're thinking oh, of who is now like, you know... I think he's got like okay. eight fingers now or something like that. If you'd yeah, like to average it all out. Um, Maybe sorry, that's half. a terrible thing to say. Uh, but we did have one close call. Um, for those of you who have never lit off mortars before, you're about to learn something here. Uh, because they have a this side up thing printed on the label. And that's there for good reason. However, <laughs> one year we were lighting these off and I had a friend of mine who did not heed said label. And it's with a mortar, you put it in the equivalent of like, you know, a paper towel tube, right? I mean, it's a little thicker, but it's a little cardboard tube about, you know, the width of a paper towel tube. Uh, and then you light it and, you know, the 
you, you light it, you run, it goes up in the air, and that's like you know what you see when you see like a professional fireworks display. It's just a bunch of these mortars. So we had one of those, but my buddy put it in upside down, and uh, yeah, I don't think I've seen anybody ever hit the deck as fast as we did because it lit off like literally. I mean, realistically, it was still probably like eight to nine feet in the air, so it wasn't as close as it felt, but it was terrifying, and he lost his uh, lighting privileges for. I mean, really, ever, because we've never let him near the fireworks ever since. Um, I'm looking at those right now. I mean, those uh, those look like... I, I'm Googling it right now on my phone. They look pretty basic. I mean, there's the the base and then the bottle or, or whatever sh- yeah. should be on top. It's, it's unbelievably simple, but my buddy still managed to screw it up. So, again, we don't let him near the fire anymore. Uh, where do you usually go to get your, your fireworks at? Uh, there's a bunch of different places. I mean, you kind of really what I do, you know, here in Kansas city, I start driving South on 69 highway and watch for signs. You'll see them. I mean, there's a bunch of different places to get them, but I don't think I've bought from the same place twice. I think, you know, I know black cats, the big one. I mean, usually in the Kansas city area, they have a lot of sense. Here's, here's what confuses me so much is, um, I, uh, you see these fireworks for sale, but where are you able to go? Because people go to parks as long as police officers aren't there. And then when police officers show up to go around the area, people get in their cars and take off. They bolt out of there. Um, so, I, I mean, the, the place you're going, you guys are allowed to light up fireworks? I say I'm pretty sure in Payola it's generally accepted. Um, okay. I don't know if it's technically legal or not, so I really hope that you know we don't have some of Paola's finest listening to this that are going to come and try to <laughs> find us for this. I really hope that's not the case. Uh, but I mean, generally speaking, like you know, my rule of thumb has always been you know get further south to where you know there's just less population density. So for a while that was still well. Now that's all been developed, so we don't do that anymore. Um, but you know, the further south you go, where there's just fewer and fewer people. You can, you know, find a friend with some property or, you know, just find an abandoned empty lot and, you know, light them up. Uh, I have a Not that I should you. advocate for this because I probably shouldn't <laughs> at all. Um, so this past weekend, 27 years ago, my family and I did move to the United States. And keep in mind, it's like the end of June. So certain things are happening. And, uh, our, and I was a baby, keep in mind, so I don't really know this, but it's my mom and dad who have to have shared this uh, story with me and with other people many times, our, their first uh, impression it was pretty scary because they hear a lot of explosions in this you know bad neighborhood we're living in, uh, which there was a lot of crime in that area. But they all of a sudden, I mean, they just keep hearing all these explosions and they go ask a neighbor, they go, what's all this noise? And, you know, they explain they're new to the United States. They don't know what's going on. And they go, oh, it's 4th of July week. People are lighting up fireworks. So... Thinking that there were, you know, insane amounts of gunshots and whatever going on, it was actually fireworks going on, so. Yeah, I suppose if the 4th uh, was your first exposure to the U.S., yeah, we would, you know, I could absolutely understand where your folks got the wrong impression. That was the introduction to the American dream, fireworks being lit off on the 4th of July weekend, so. Uh, but anyway, we're not here to talk about that. Hopefully, you guys do have a safe fourth. And again, don't do anything crazy. I don't mean to act like everyone's dad, but just I'll don't be anyway. Jason Pierre Paul. Yeah, uh, th- keep that all was, your fingers. That's yeah. That, that that was pretty brutal. What happened to him? I don't even know. I don't even want to know like the image how that happened. But I'm sure a lot of people have seen the picture. Anyway, uh, I mean, with one person who did not have like, a good week. Follow the instructions. It's not hard. 
Yeah, no, not at all. Uh, but uh, look, I was not anticipating this to be a very long podcast, but unfortunately, we did have a pretty significant story that broke on Monday regarding Kevin Keatsman. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to. I, I don't want to set this up too much because I think everybody knows what's going on. But you guys know me; I always want to do that with every topic we discuss here. So here's what happened on Sports Radio 810, which 810 somehow they became the front runners in getting all the breaking news information about Tyree Kill when it was Channel 5 and the Kansas City Star that seemed to have more uh, of the breaking news leads for for this kind of topic. But as time went on, or at least in the past three weeks, four weeks, a month, a month uh, 810 pretty much took the lead on this story. Kevin Keatsman said on Twitter that he had breaking news leading up to his show on Monday. I guess he tweeted that just, what, an hour before his show? I don't know. And I know I've said I don't listen to local radio much, but recently I've been tuning into 810 a little bit just to hear this breaking news story and to hear them react. So I've been listening to them a little bit, but Keatsman had breaking news, which, by the way, the breaking news was that Tyreek Hill is meeting with the NFL on Wednesday, which we'll discuss later. That's an important topic to get into, but that wasn't, by all means, a breaking news story. I I think it's just him trying to garner all this attention and as many ratings possible with this being a pretty big story. Um, But because there was not a lot of content to go behind that quote-unquote breaking news, well, like any radio host should... Try to share their thoughts on this, maybe predictions or give an opinion on this meeting. And and Kevin Keatsman went on that for a while. And then about, what, 15 to 20 minutes into his show, Keatsman placed the blame on this whole Tyree Kill situation on Andy Reid because Andy Reid apparently can't quote-unquote fix people. He can't fix players. And Keatsman then said that this is an issue in his family life. To give you guys some background knowledge on this, uh, Andy Reid uh, has a son who's currently on the chief staff. He also had another son who uh, tragically died uh, in 2012. Uh, but here's some background to know on this. His son, Britt Reid, who, again, currently a defensive assistant, uh, Britt Reid and his brother, Garrett, uh, Garrett Reid, Andy Reid's other son, they were sentenced to jail in 2007, according to reports, due to drug issues. Unfortunately for Garrett Reed, uh, he died at 29 in 2012, which was Reed's final season with the Eagles during Eagles training camp. He was found dead in his dorm room due to a heroin overdose. There were also reports that steroids were also in his room, which was a concern to a lot of people that a sports team would have that. Um, but again, that's a topic for another time. Uh, but since these issues uh, happened with the Reed brothers, uh, Britt Reed has rebounded. He has not gotten in trouble since uh, 2007, if I remember correctly. Uh, I haven't seen any reports of that. But everyone was outraged by the fact that Keithman would bring this up and try to compare this to the whole Tyree Kill situation and blame Andy Reed for all of this and then use his family as a comparison. This blew up real fast. A-10 suspended Keatsman on Tuesday, and then they fired him on Friday. Keatsman tried to defend his comments ridiculously on Monday night on Twitter saying that, you know, what he meant, everyone misunderstood him and that he was talking about just the drug part of how Britt Reed and Garrett Reed were sentenced to jail in 2007. Okay, but these drug issues obviously continued for Garrett Reed. For, so for you to still even reference that, it, there was a death that still took place in all of this. Um Awful announcing, by the way. I think they were the first media outlet to report on this kind of thing. 
and Keatsman emailed the writer. I don't remember his name. I don't have it in front of me. But he emailed the writer complaining about how the uh, the writer blew it out of proportion and took his comments, uh, basically misunderstood him. Keatsman then tweeted that he got an email back from the writer apologizing to him. That same writer followed up in the tweet and said he apologized if Keatsman didn't mean that. So clearly Keatsman is omitting that part of the email in his tweet just so it can fit his narrative. Meanwhile, he then goes to KCTV5 and Fox 4. I saw the Channel 5 interview. I didn't see the Fox 4 one. He owned up to it in the beginning saying, hey, this is on me, which is what he should have said early on. But during the interview, he then reroutes and his apology kind of changes. And he's basically saying he's basically apologizing for people misunderstanding him. He wasn't really apologetic about the comment he made. He was in the beginning, but as the interview went on, that wasn't the case. Denny Wilniak, who's doing the interview for Channel 5, by the way, fantastic job on her end with these tough questions. Deserved these uh, tough questions. Keatsman, that has deserved these tough questions. And this is what a journalist should do in a situation like this. She brought up the petition and the fact that people are wanting Keatsman to resign. And in a stern voice, Keatsman goes, I will not resign because he believes second chances... uh, are are deserved, especially in a city, in, again, his words, where he said athletes get second chances after criminal activities. Obviously referring to Tyreek Hill, what he did many years ago, Danny Duffy of the Kansas City Royals, he had his DUI uh, charge. I can't remember if he, if he was arrested for that either last year or the year before. I can't remember. Uh, but he's obviously making references to those situations. Uh, look, that interview did not, uh, especially those comments, did not help Keatsman's case. Uh, kind of reminds me of the Kareem Hunt interview on ESPN two days after his release. Look, here's the issue with Keatsman. This is a man who was the vice president, sports director, and a part owner of Union Broadcasting, which owns WHB, A10 WHB. Find me a sports radio host, Zach, in this country who has those three titles. You might not be able to find any that has even just one of those three titles. In TV, you'll see sports directors in front of the camera or do some sports reporting. Uh, In some cases, a news director will serve as an anchor, but in radio, you don't see upper management serve as on-air personality. And because Keatsman had that kind of power, he got drunk with power. He said anything and everything without thinking twice, didn't even think once before he spoke, didn't even think while he spoke. And because of that, he had no one to answer to, no one at 810 was going to stand up to him, and you look at... Uh, who's his boss? What Chad Boger? I mean, he does. He gives. Uh, he he gives his guys a lot of freedom. So it's not like he's going to put Keatsman in any trouble because Keatsman's a part owner, and no one else at A ten is going to say anything because they don't want to, you know, suffer the consequences because they stand up to a guy who is their boss. Look, when Keatsman did have an exclusive tip or inside story on something he got drunk with the power and wanted to say whatever and and anything the story about the transgender female athlete the tweet where he talked about sylvia de souza being a victim saying that he isn't a victim because he'll go to the nba and he is quote from africa and will make a lot of money professionally anyway i mean just things like that asinine comments like that tying in this whole andy reed thing which apparently we misunderstood and by the way let's not forget andy reed has done a lot to help guys like michael vick like marcus peters i know that didn't end well but uh i mean he's done what he could with tyree kill as well uh as of now we don't know what tyree kill did but we know that he's not going to be charged for any of this but again this issue it's kevin keatsman not thinking before he spoke and even during that channel 5 interview which he bragged about how he's raised money for charities with the chiefs and all these things stop 
changing the subject, accept what you did, own up to what you did. He never did that. Did it briefly in that interview, but still, you could just tell in the whole thing, he never owned up to what he said. He kept giving the runaround and all of this. And now you look at the situation, well, shockingly to me, because he is a part owner, he ended up getting let go by Union Broadcasting. I mean, the thing about this that I guess sticks out for me is really the fact that, uh, you know, I think it's very funny in a weird sort of way how he goes on the air with KCTV5 and starts talking about, yep, I'm not resigning, I'm not resigning. That was on Wednesday or Thursday. I forget which day those interviews aired, but regardless, then it comes out Friday that they mutually parted ways, which that's just corporate speak for those of you who haven't spent time in the corporate world. Like that's that's corporate speak for we're letting you go. They said something similar so. for Carl Peterson in 2008. That, that's exactly it. I mean, we all know what this was, um, and whether they bought him out or not is really immaterial. I mean, realistically, like the. I think he has gotten such a longer leash over the years saying stuff that other personalities probably would have been let go for because he's been a part owner. But at this point, he managed to push it far enough over that line um, that he was ultimately let go, whether he was bought out or otherwise. Again, it's immaterial in this case. I just think it's a shame that you know he chose to take the low route. And the thing that was really frustrating to me as I was watching that interview is, you know, it's like, okay, it's on me. It's on me. I take responsibility for that. But then he continues on to speak about how all of these reasons why really though, it's, you know, you guys as the people misunderstood me, you know, but no, it's on me. It's on me. Really? Like, I'm going to say that trying to convince myself of it, even though I don't believe it for a minute. That's kind of how it came across to me though. I think really the best summation of this that I saw, uh, actually I saw this on Twitter. Somebody responded to uh, Jason Whitlock of all people who tweeted about the, you know, his disbelief at the fact that they fired Keatsman. But I think this really sums it up pretty well. Uh, Robert Chestnut uh, was the guy's name and he tweeted this. He said, KK, as in Kevin Keatsman, made a horrible comment. Instead of owning it and apologizing, he blamed listeners for not understanding, social media for making it a big deal, and then cried that criminal football players get second chances, so he should too. He would have been fine if he knew some humility. And really, that kind of puts a bow on it. I think that, you know, if he had actually been legitimately contrite when he went on the air uh, in defending the remarks that he made, which, again, I think we can all agree, not particularly defensible. uh, But if he had shown any genuine contrition on that, I think he'd still be on the air. But he didn't, and so he's not. And I think, frankly, Kansas City Radio is the better for it. Did you listen to what Stephen St. John and Sir Empire, for those for those who don't know, Stephen St. John is the morning host at A10. Soren Petro, who's been on this podcast, not for he hasn't been here for a long time, but uh, Soren Petro is the midday host uh, right before Keatsman and like the best uh, sports radio personality say. in Kansas City, bar none. Sorry, I just had did to throw you, that out did, there. I'm a huge Petro fan. Did you fan, hear so. uh, what those two guys had to say? I did not have the chance to. No, if you'd sum it up, that'd be so, awesome. Uh, St. John was on vacation, so he didn't get a chance to respond right away. Um, he was, like I said, he was on vacation. He was actually really upset because, uh, and I don't know how exactly, but he says this whole thing ruined his last couple of days on vacation with his family. And he went on uh, his radio show on his first day back and said, you know, he he, he said the words pissed off. He was pissed off. And... He As felt in pissed like off at KK or pissed off that they suspended him? He didn't make that clear, but I'm pretty sure he's pissed. He's pissed off at the whole situation because everyone at 810 was put in a bad light with this. And he talked about how, look, you know, 
why do we go to baseball games, Zach? Because, you know, we have long days. We have a lot of crazy things we go to. You know, you have personal issues in your life. I do, too. Everyone listening, you know, they, they have their personal issues. But you go to a baseball game or a football game for those three, four hours to have a beer or two, have a hot dog, whatever, and just kind of forget about, you know, real life for a couple of hours because that's entertainment to you. That's why you watch sports, and that's kind of what St. John was alluding to. I mean, Petro said some similar things. Petro also mentioned, and St. John alluded to this a little bit as well, that look, when ownership, when general managers give you a radio job, they trust you for two, three, four, however many hours you're on the radio for, they trust you for X amount of hours to put on good radio. Now, maybe you may not be a great radio host, but at least you, they trust you to have good judgment on what you're going to say. Uh, so both were very, very upset, and I don't blame them. I did listen listen on Tuesday just to see if Keystone would respond, and that is the first time we had heard about a possible suspension because Todd Lebo's voice was on, and he was the host, and Frank Bull was co-hosting with him, and Frank Bull even admitted, it said the words, that it was awkward. Again, that was on Tuesday, Kevin Keatsman's first day off. I know they've had different hosts filling for Keatsman throughout the week, and Friday afternoon they announced that they were uh, letting him go. Look, people have talked about, you know, boycotting all of A-10 and how the Chiefs should never give a press credential to all of A-10. Look, don't put the rest of these guys under the same umbrella as Keatsman. Uh, you may not agree with them, with what they say. Maybe you don't like their show. Uh, but that doesn't mean that the Chiefs should hold these guys accountable because these guys didn't do anything. And look, it's extremely unfair to put those guys in that situation because of another guy's uh, truly embarrassing and really just not even thinking twice with what he said. I mean, he's always been the kind of host that has had an unbelievable propensity for for putting his foot in his mouth. And I can't blame, you know, St. John or Petro or, you know, Bucati or anybody else affiliated with the station for getting frustrated by this because like you said, it does paint them in a bad light, sadly to be associated. Uh, I think that, you know, both of those two have been around long enough, uh, Nate Bucati as well. Like they've all been around long enough that they've earned their own reputations, which they've come by honestly. And generally speaking, you know, their positive reputations and again, well-earned. But I think at this point, they've just kind of gotten sick of the fact that, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Farzine, is not the afternoon drive time pretty much the, you know, flagship program of a station. Is that yeah. unfair oh, yeah. to say? The two to six, especially in Kansas City, that's pretty significant. Yeah. And so, you know, this guy has had that forever when he's, you know, not even close to the best uh, radio personality, whether or not you agree with what he says or not. I mean, I think objectively speaking, Petro is certainly miles ahead of him. Uh, and so it would make logical sense to have, you know, your heavy hitter in the cleanup spot, so to speak. Uh, but for some reason, and I believe the ownership percentage that he had was a part of this, for some reason, Keatsman continued to hold down the afternoon slot. And I think that, you know, there's no reason for them not to be frustrated by you know, the fact that this guy continues to get the voice box that he has or the soapbox. Sorry, that's what I meant to say. Words are hard. <laughs> um, but you know, there's no reason to continue giving this guy a platform when he's just going to spout off and you know, not really add any value to the conversation. Look, as a former intern at A10, which was 10 years ago this summer in 2009, by the way, I will say, because uh, I've had a lot of people comment, uh, send me messages saying, oh, I bet he was a jerk to you. He's actually fairly, Keatsman's actually a fairly nice guy to people around him. Uh, I mean, he's not a hard guy to work with. Well, I'm saying that as an intern. But I will, I will say, you know, because 
he has ownership. He gets to make a lot of decisions and sometimes he gets a final word on certain things. And there are people in that building that aren't happy. In fact, I, um, I don't want to get into this too much, Zach, but that building, that work environment is very odd. I mean, I heard cursing, yelling, and if you're wondering by who, pretty much almost all the on-air guys, uh, and again, I don't know why it's like that. I was a little nervous when I started working at at 610, and then I'm like, whoa, this is not even like 810 at all. And and again, that was 10 years ago, but I, uh, I dated someone last year whose sister's boyfriend also worked at Union Broadcasting as a sales guy. And he and I, when we met, we kind of shared stories, and he basically said, yeah, it's still like kind of a work environment there. He worked there several years later, but the point is, you know, the things that go on in that building, and I don't know how much Keatsman is responsible for it, the frustration and the anger that goes on with all these workers there, I I, I, I truly don't get it. Let me just say this, and I'm going to be very vague because this is absolutely not my place to speak. Because Keatsman, obviously, he got personal with with Andy Reid, and he loves to get personal with – Anyone in the sports field, uh, you know, he will he will not let an opportunity slide if he can criticize them personally. There was a very important part of Kevin Keatsman's personal life that was made public years and years ago. Uh, again, I'm just going to be vague on this, but if you if you care to look it up, just Google it. Uh, he was married to someone, and then he had an affair with an intern who is married to now. And according to the website, she is still working at the station, and she has a pretty significant title with um with the uh broadcast station as well over there uh you know for a guy who had this part of his personal life exposed you know i would like to think that maybe he knows a little bit better knows his place at least to not just criticize people so much when he knows that a big part of his personal life is out there in this very negative manner and again i'm not saying this has anything to do with it but I mean, come on. You know that a lot of people can respond to your personal criticism of someone with what's happened in your personal life. Uh, but obviously, uh, you know, he, he didn't think twice of that either. Let me just say this. As for his firing, I'm not quite sure what happened, whether there was a buyout or what really happened. Because he was pretty certain that he was going to come back to radio. And I guess there was a rumor on social media that he was going to return on Friday My guess, maybe a mixture of things happened. Maybe people who were working at A-10 were no longer comfortable with him being there. Maybe the Chiefs, which they have a pretty strong partnership with A-10, or maybe other sponsors threatened to leave. I think that's also a possibility as well. Um, I I, I don't know. I'm sure there was a mixture of things, like I said, a a different combination of things that culminated into what was announced on Friday. But uh, I think a lot of people at this point just didn't want to be associated with, with Kevin Keatsman, whether it was co-workers or sponsors or the chiefs and i think that's why what happened ended up happening i think you're absolutely right on that and you know how long has it been since 810 got a new host on any of their shows i don't think this is ultimately a bad thing for union broadcasting or 810 at all i think you know having a little bit of turnover can you know maybe mix some things up i mean as long as I can remember, you've had Petro in the uh, you know daytime hour and Keatsman in the afternoon with Stephen St. John and Nate Bucati holding down the morning show. Like, I think it's been that way for it. You know, I don't think I'm off base saying like almost ten years. No, you're actually you're absolutely it has been ten years. So Dave Stewart, who was I think he hosted like a two hour radio show with A10, and Petro was originally eleven to two, uh, but they let uh, Dave Stewart go. So therefore. Uh, 
Stephen St. John's show became four hours, and Petro's show became four hours. Uh, Keithman has always been four hours. But yeah, since 2009, they have not had a significant change with any of their hosts or co-hosts. Whereas 610, there's a lot of turnover. Uh, I mean, Fesco's held down his spot for a long time, but the midday show, that has changed a lot over the years. The late afternoon show has changed over the years, and rightfully so. I mean, they've had guys like Nick Wright and Danny Parkins move on, and Danny Parkins is in Chicago, but he also has a national show. Nick Wright, he's on, excuse me, FS1, and he also has his own radio show on SiriusXM, so he's national as well. Uh, But yeah, they have uh, kept it like that at 810 for a long time. I think they pay their guys a little bit more. Uh, I think, you know, I don't know where Kansas City ranks market-wise, but if you compare it to markets similar to Kansas City, I think the guys at A10 make a lot more money than what most radio hosts would make uh, doing a local radio show. Uh, but by the way, speaking of money, a lot of people are, well, I don't want to say a lot, but some people are you know, feeling bad for Kevin because now he's out of a job. I mean, come on. The guy was, again, part owner vice president and a sports director, his wife, assuming she's still at the station, and even if she's not, she was a senior account manager, so she's high up in that building. Those two together made a ton of money, and if there was a buyout involved, then, I mean, look, this guy's this guy's pretty set on money for a long time. This guy, I'll give Kevin credit, he did a fantastic job with union broadcasting when they were very small, and how he helped them build, basically build that station up. Uh, he's a pretty good businessman, just not a good radio host. So I'm, I'm sure he can go out to another business venture out there and he'll be just fine. I mean, I think that realistically after, you know, give it a year, maybe two, I think that he'll resurface in some smaller market somewhere. I don't think, I don't think so. I mean, maybe if he really wants to, I don't know. Uh, but I could not imagine him going anywhere outside of Kansas. Because here's one thing. When you have been involved in a sports scene for a long time like he has with Kansas City, do you really think he can go to St. Louis and talk Cardinals, talk Blues? Uh, I mean, obviously, they don't have the Rams, so I don't know what else they talk about there. Maybe the Chiefs a little bit. Uh, but do you really think he can go to another market and have knowledgeable conversations about those kinds of things? Because it is pretty tough to do. I don't know how some radio hosts do it. Some radio hosts go from city to city, and they do a great job. Parkins has done it. Nick Wright's done it. Uh, it's a challenging gig. It really is. I mean, does Manhattan have a sports radio station? Yeah, they do. Because um, that would be a logical fit. I, I suppose if they uh, if they would have him, which is completely up for discussion. I'm not insinuating that. I mean, at he all. is not make. You're not going to make a lot of money in a in a place like Manhattan. I mean, look, sports radio, even in Kansas City, you're not making a whole lot of money. I don't know the exact numbers, but it's not as high as some people would think. If you go to a smaller market like Manhattan, yeah, it's definitely. I mean, he is going to take significantly less money to do that. I don't think a guy like him would ever want to do that. Uh, I don't know. That's just my guess. Um, I don't really have a whole lot to say on that. I think we've covered a lot of things on this. Is there anything you want to add? No, I think we've beat this pretty much to death at this point. <laughs> All right. Well, again, uh, a lot of people were angry. I-, I had thrown suggestions saying, hey, don't listen. Uh, call their sponsors if you want to. But A10 took care of that, and I think they listened to all the outrage that people had. So there is that. Now, the breaking news that Keatsman did have, which he... Which, crazy enough, it, it did, the, the discussion turned from Tyreek Hill to Kevin Keatsman. Now we're going back to Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill did meet with the NFL for eight hours on Wednesday, along with his legal team. His attorneys were there. Uh, Roger Goodell was not at this meeting, but a lot of other people in the NFL, some, some higher-ups whose names we may not be as familiar with, they were in Kansas City meeting with Tyreek Hill and his legal team. 
It was Tyreek Hill's first opportunity to address the NFL and give his side of the story on everything going on involving his son, as well as provide any evidence that he could provide as to why he should not be charged nor suspended by the NFL. Obviously, the NFL can't decide if he's going to be charged, but they can decide on a suspension for Tyreek Hill if they want to go that route. Let me say this, given that it was eight hours, I am sure the NFL covered anything and every possible thing. The three-year-old, the audio, the damaged relationship between him and his fiance. I don't know if that's still the, the relationship they have right now. I don't know if they're engaged, but not my place to speak. Uh, whether or not the two of them need any help with therapy, counseling, the twin girl that she is pregnant with, the past incident in college, wanting to follow up and how he's done over the years. Because it's eight hours, I'm sure the NFL covered a lot of ground with Tyreek Hill and his attorneys. No word yet on a potential punishment from the NFL. Uh, we don't know the timetable on that. Uh, a lot of people have accused the NFL of having a guilty until proven innocent kind of approached excuse, approach with these kinds of things with Tom Brady and the deflate gate, Ezekiel Elliott and the domestic violence or non-domestic violence with whatever happened a couple of years ago. Um, but the NFL has been very quiet on this whole Tyreek Hill deal. Anytime they've been asked about it, they don't really have much to say. Again, I've said this a couple of times, maybe they've learned from their past mistakes, uh, so, so we'll see about that. Uh, I mean, rap- if I can jump in on that for a minute. Yeah, sure. I, I like the idea that they've learned from their past in- incidents on that. You're skeptical. But, uh, that's an understatement. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, for that to be the case, it would indicate some ability to adjust and be self-aware, which up to this point, I mean, you can call Goodell many things. I'm not sure self-aware is one of them. Yeah. No, and that's certainly a fair criticism. Um, Rappaport did report that uh, he is expected to be at training camp on day one. And this is actually very interesting. This is kind of uh, some new news. The Chiefs are expected to pick back up on contract negotiations with Tyreek Hill and his agent, Drew Rosenhaus, uh, as soon as possible. That is something that's being thrown out there. Uh, I don't really have anything new to add to this. Again, we've talked about this, it feels like, every episode um, this story, I, I'll just say this, it continues to move in the same direction after, what, a month and a half ago? Everybody thought Tyree Kill's career was in jeopardy with the the the, uh, the audio that came out, and then all these new reports have been a complete game changer and been very positive for Tyree Kill. Yeah, and I think that you know, the one thing that is just going to be the reality of the situation moving forward, like, yes, the Chiefs are you know, supposedly re-engaging in contract talks with him and his agent. Um, the two things that I've heard about that are, one, that it's certainly not anywhere near the ballpark financially that it was previously, which makes, unfortunately, it makes logical sense here, uh, regardless of whether he did anything or not. Uh, but then the other thing is that there is going to be a lot of language involved that would essentially enable the Chiefs to, you know, if there's any semblance of off-the-field issues, they'd be able to walk away from that contract fairly quickly. Um, and so I think that that is one of the things that I understand absolutely where the organization is coming from, and I don't necessarily fault them for it. I just think it's a shame that if he you know, is completely innocent in all of this, which, again, more and more evidence is starting to point to that being the case. I mean, it's just a shame that you know, just the allegation of something like this can you know, cost somebody you know, millions and millions of dollars realistically, because all of a sudden now, I don't think you're talking about, you know, the mega deal that he may have garnered prior to this incident. I think that, you know, realistically, the Chiefs will get him on a, you know, relative bargain compared to the value that he brings to the team. 
I was reading Pro Football Talk with Florio, and, and I don't mean to be a troll, but the guy does not proofread his work, which is a topic for another time. He called Therese Taylor Perez Taylor. Did you see that? I did not, but I don't think he's the first to make that mistake. Still stupid regardless, but I think I've seen well, that happen a couple times before. Well, when you're a journalist of that high, I mean, he's got one of the biggest football websites. You've got to be able to prevent those kinds of mistakes. But um, he basically was saying, you know, don't believe these reports that Tyreek Hill, you know, is going to be in the clear. And when you see Chiefs fans commenting on the website uh, on, on Pro Football Talk saying that, hey, you know, the text messages, he is not going to be charged. You can give a thumbs up or a thumbs down on a comment. Any comment that points what's been reported positive about Tyreek Hill possibly not being charged and maybe not being suspended or maybe briefly getting suspended for just two games gets a lot of thumbs down uh, up hits on those um, comments, which, you know, look, I, I know we've talked about this. We can't really change the perception at this point unless the media does decide to the national media that is decide to point out the what's really been going on but not a lot of media outlets have uh, have been uh, doing that to be fair if i was you know say that you know Tyreek Hill or you know a similar incident you know involves you know insert player here on the raiders i can't pretend that i wouldn't you know still be pretty darn convinced that yep they're just covering this up like he definitely did that stuff so like that's just one of the i guess things that I've been wrestling with throughout this entire situation is you obviously want to see the best outcome for all parties involved uh, as a fan here. And I guess that's just where I've struggled a little bit is trying to think like, all right, is this fanhood? Is this just generally being objective? A little of both. It's really tough to mark the balance, especially in a case, case that's as emotionally charged as this one is. Uh, but I think that it's you know an important, I guess, reflection point uh, as a fan to look back and think like, okay, you know, are you really wanting the best for this situation because it's best for your team? Or do you want yeah. the best for the individual involved just, you know, out of strictly altruistic, you know, motives, if that makes sense? Some Chiefs fans are bringing up that, you know, some fans out there are upset because it's like they want uh, child abuse to have occurred just so Tyreek Hill can get in trouble or something. And it's like, you know... If you want a player to be in trouble just so he's not, you don't have to face him. Okay, whatever. I mean, sure. Yeah, a lot of people, you know, maybe they celebrate when they hear, oh, so and so got injured. We don't have to face him. But in a case like this, where you know, it's like people are wanting child abuse to have taken place, and I don't mean to laugh at that or make a light of that. I mean, it's a serious thing. But it's like, are people really rooting for that? I mean, I, mean, I think the- it's equally problematic to have people on one side rooting, well, you know, quote unquote, rooting for something like that to have happened. Like, I think that's as bad as anybody who would sweep an issue like that under the rug for their own team's benefit, if that makes sense. Like, they're different sides of the same coin, but both are very wrong. I don't really have a whole lot to add to that, and I know we've talked about this a lot, and we've kind of repeated some of the things, but, um, you know, training camp is in less than a month, and I believe the... um, I believe the uh, child services investigation, I believe that is still ongoing. And for those who are saying, what's taking so long? Welcome to the world of investigations. These things take a while, unfortunately, sometimes. so. But can we uh, all agree that it, like it's time to get to training camp so we have more to talk about than just this? Yeah, for sure. Uh, but, hey, uh, you know, as you said, it, I mean, we are kind of in that down period waiting for training camp. So we decided to kind of do a list here. Five areas where the Chiefs need to improve in and five players who need to step up in 2019. We're going to start with this here. Five areas where the Kansas City Chiefs absolutely need to improve on. Now, this one I could have had 
five bullet points, but I decided to put this all under one category, defense. They were ranked 31st, 8th worst third down defense, uh, the third worst fourth down defense in the NFL. Why was that the case? Well, they missed so many tackles. Uh, A lot of bad coverage out there. Uh, They were 26th, uh, or excuse me, uh, they allowed 26 first downs per game. That was the most they allowed in the NFL. Cleveland was second worst with 23.6 first downs allowed per game. That's an area where they need to improve in. And looking at this defense and what they did, uh, you know, areas where they really struggled. Week one against the LA Chargers, a lot of wide open receivers were left open for uh, Chargers receivers. Fortunately, that didn't hurt the Chiefs. Phillip Rivers overthrew a lot of them. Week 8 against Denver at home, they allowed a touchdown on a five-play drive right before halftime. The Denver Broncos never needed to use a timeout, if I remember correctly, and they were able to get to the end zone pretty quick right before halftime. In Week 11 against the Rams, the Rams didn't even have a timeout, and on six plays, the only timeout they had was that two-minute warning where they got the clock to stop. But in 58 seconds, the Rams marched down the field in six plays to get the game-winning touchdown inside two minutes. Things like that the Chiefs need to improve in. Cole led the NFL in sacks with 52, but there are a lot of new faces on this team. Some good newcomers here. We'll see if they can have that kind of domination as uh, the 2019 season. We're waiting for that, of course. We'll see if they can have that kind of success in 2019. Number two, finish games on a stronger note, especially close ones. Kansas City's worst loss this year was against Seattle by seven points. They never got blown out in any of their five losses, including the playoff loss in the AFC Championship game. Which, Look given our two, defense, is an unbelievable stat when you think about it. Look at Week 2, though, uh, against Pittsburgh. They started off uh, 21-0. Then the Steelers tied that game at halftime. Both New England games, KC got off to terrible starts, yet they lost by three in the first meeting and then six in the second one, which was an overtime game. So it could have been seven, but you get the idea. One possession losses after terrible starts in both of those games. Multiple chances inside two minutes against the Rams, and the Chiefs lost that game by three. Both teams scoring 50 against the Chargers, uh, the one on uh, Thursday night football. Uh, midway through the fourth quarter, you're up 28-14. Three three and outs in that football game, uh, plus another drive where it was a four-play drive. Kansas City did not finish strong in that game, obviously. Uh, didn't finish strong against Denver twice. Uh, or excuse me, they did finish strong against Denver twice. Uh, finished strong against Baltimore. At Oakland, they finished strong. Don't get complacent. Find a way to finish strong in these games, especially against those higher caliber opponents. Number three, force more turnovers. They were plus nine in turnover differential this year. Uh, they had 27 takeaways. That was tied for eighth in the NFL, but I think they can do a little bit better than that. 15 interceptions this year. That's tied for ninth best. Look at 2016. They had 18 interceptions and 33 takeaways. Co-led the, uh, or excuse me, not co-led. They led the NFL in both those categories. 2015, 22 picks, second most. 29 takeaways, fifth most. In 2014, they only had six picks, and that tied for fewest in the NFL. And they were nine and seven. That's the only year they missed the playoffs. If the defense could have been a little bit better, by the way, only year they missed the playoffs under Andy Reid. To be clear, if they could have been a little bit better on defense, coming up with takeaways would have been a lot better. In 2013, Andy Reid's first year. They had 21 picks. That tied for third in the NFL. Find ways to force more turnovers. 
especially interceptions. I know you had Orlando Skendrick who dropped a big one in that Rams game late in the game, uh, and I believe another one in the Chargers game as well. So find ways to force more turnovers. Number four area where the Chiefs need to improve, rushing. Uh, when it came to total yards, passing yards, first downs, third down conversions, fourth down conversions, scoring, and red zone offense, the Chiefs were ranked either first, second, or third in all of those categories. But rushing, they were ranked 16th. 116 yards per game. However, if you look at average yards per touch, they rank 6th. 4.8 yards per carry. 6th best in the NFL behind Carolina, Green Bay, the Rams, the Broncos, and the Seahawks. Kareem Hunt, he averaged 4.6 yards per carry last year. Damian Williams was better than that, averaging 5.1 yards per attempt. I don't need to see Mahomes throw 50 touchdowns and 5,000 yards again. If he does, great, but... I'd rather have a balanced offense. Uh, I'd like to see more of Damian Williams, and maybe this will take pressure off Mahomes. I think part of the reason Mahomes has to throw 50 touchdowns and 5,000 yards is because uh, the the Chiefs had a bad defense, and they needed Mahomes. They they relied on him to have some of these big numbers. Last thing I think the Chiefs need to improve on, connect on deep, wide-open passes. And this is more of a Mahomes thing. Maybe route runners as well. Maybe wrong routes were ran, and... Mahomes was expecting them to be in different places. In week two against the Steelers, early in the fourth quarter, from the one-yard line, he overthrew a wide-open Tyreek Hill. Next play, Kareem Hunt tackled in the end zone for a safety. In week six against New England, uh, on the opening KC possession of the game, overthrew Kareem Hunt and Tyreek Hill on easy touchdown plays early on in that game. And in the AFC Championship game against the same team, the Patriots, in the second quarter, after Tyreek Hill's big catch at the 23-yard line, Mahomes overthrew Damian Williams on the next play wide open. Nobody ahead of him would have been a touchdown right there to tie the game. Uh, But again, that's an area where I think Mahomes and the offense need to improve on the most. Sometimes I feel like Mahomes tries a little too much sometimes when it comes to extending plays. Obviously, it came through in the Baltimore game and in the San Francisco game. Uh, Baltimore, where it was a fourth down play, and he found Tyree Kill wide open, where he extended the play. And in San Francisco, he had a similar play where he evaded defenders, kept going, and found someone wide open. But I guess the Patriots, a few times, that seemed to hurt uh, the Chiefs. And Mahomes, in doing that, pushed the Chiefs out of field goal range. So those are my five areas where I think the Chiefs need to improve on the most as a team. So I was just taking a couple of notes here as you were saying that, just because I knew I'd need to respond. I think that you know you make some interesting points on that. I think you know just to work backwards, I guess you know for the connecting on deep, wide open passes. I think that that's I, I absolutely agree with you that Mahomes has one of the strongest arms. That's you know not really up for discussion. Uh, he's got one of the strongest arms in the league, but that is absolutely an area in which he can absolutely improve uh, in you know knowing when to use the full strength that's attached to his shoulder. Um, and so I think that frankly that's something that should terrify other teams that he's still getting your in theory should still be getting better at doing stuff like that which would will be awesome to watch uh on the rushing attack i think that you know an underrated piece that we've added here in the offseason is carlos hyde i think that you know i don't know what kind of a receiver he is out of the backfield but i think he'll be uh, able to provide a solid you know number two running back for us behind damian williams to be able to equal parts you know help spell williams for a bit but also bring a rushing attack of his own uh, and then the takeaways i think that um and I talk about this a little bit in my players who need to step up here as well. Uh, but I think that adding the honey badger, uh, will certainly help quite a bit here because I mean, if you look at the disparity that the chiefs have had, uh, 
between, you know, you mentioned that we were leading the league in takeaways, uh, what was it, two years ago in 2017? Is that what you said? Uh, no, that was 2016. I did not mention the 2017 interceptions. I did look it up, but I didn't write them down. But all good. Uh, it, it was not very good for the Chiefs that year in terms of interceptions. I do, I do remember that. Regardless, the point was that I was going to make was the fact that you know what, you had one of the players in the league and in the, specifically in the secondary who had the best nose for the ball, whether picking it out of the air or punching it out of receivers who are looking to make a move uh, in Marcus Peters. And now you have something like that again in Tyron Matthew, who uh, has proven his ability time and time again in college, in Arizona, in Houston. The man can generate takeaways without a doubt, and he is one of the best that I've seen at punching the ball out as a receiver is looking to make a run. Uh, the finishing strong, I think that that's you know, always been a time management thing. And I think that, frankly, with as explosive as our offense was, uh, I think that, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, those games where you were mentioning that we did finish fairly strong, the Ravens one comes to mind, and then both against the Broncos, I believe we were, you know, coming back from behind in those games. Like, I think we're much better yep. playing from behind than, you know, kicking it, or well, I guess, you know, trying to coast to the win after getting out to a hot start like we did, you know, against Pittsburgh and a few others. I think that that's something that, you know, we saw far too often last year, and I think that the improved rushing attack will enable us to manage the clock a little better, and hopefully uh, you know, we have some, some assistant on the sideline to help Andy Reid manage his well-documented clock issues. And then the defense, well, there's a lot to unpack with that, and uh, I think it's a pretty easy segue into the players that we need to step up. Yeah, you know, I, I, the whole thing with finishing games, and look, they were never blown out. So maybe if the defense was better and if they weren't so complacent in some of their games, they could have gone 19 and 0. I mean, I don't know. I, I know that's a very, very difficult thing to do. Um, look, the, the Chiefs might get blown out in a game. I mean, the, the Patriots got blown out by the Titans in a game this year. So you're going to lose a game where you're not expected to lose and maybe even get blown out in that game. That didn't happen in Kansas City necessarily this year. So. Uh, look, it's bound to happen. Even the great teams lose to bad teams, and bad teams pick up a rare win against a really good football team. That happens. Um, but I think that's an area. If there was one where I, if I could have a magic wand and say, yes, this is where you improve on the most, it's the finishing strong part. I know a lot of people will say defense, but and maybe the whole finishing strong does come from the defense. But, I mean, that Chargers game, you had three three-and-outs and another drive that was four plays, so almost a three-and-out there. Um, you just got to find a way to finish strong, especially in these competitive uh, games against very good teams like the Chargers tied with the Chiefs for best record in the AFC and the Patriots twice, obviously winning the Super Bowl. So that would be my uh, my favorite where if they were to improve on that area, that would really help the most. All right, Zach, I'm going to turn it over to you now and you are going to give us the five players on the team who need to step up for 2019. All right. I did these. I kind of ranked them a little bit. So we'll start with number five, um, which is actually two people just because it's a camp battle. So I've got Cam Irving and Andrew Wiley uh, listed as my number five. I list them both because they are primary competitors in one of the position battles that I'll be most interested to see shake out in training camp. Uh, It's the battle for the left guard spot. Regardless of which one of them steps up to win the job, they both have some major room to improve. Uh, to shore up what, at least on paper, certainly looks to be the uh, weakest part of the Chiefs' offensive line. Uh, I think that you know, it's you know we saw certainly anecdotally last year, uh, Mahomes looked his most mortal whenever uh, he had significant pressure coming up the middle, and shoring up that left guard position will be a big part of helping to stop that. Uh, fourth, I had Damian Williams. You know he's 
already shown the ability to be incredibly effective through the last three weeks of the season and then the playoffs. Uh, you know, he was incredibly effective taking over for Kareem Hunt. I think the only question is whether or not he's going to be able to step up and sustain that production being the featured back for 16 games and then, you know, ideally through the playoffs as well. Uh, I think the addition of Carlos Hyde and Darwin Thompson will enable us to not overuse uh, Williams, and I think that, you know, that'll help keep him fresh th- both throughout the season and then over the course of individual games as well. Uh, but ultimately, regardless of those two being in place, it's still going to be on Williams to step up and prove that he can be that primary back in Andy Reid's system over a full season. Uh, third, I've got Bashad Breeland because, let's be honest, I could have put all three of our corners on this list uh, because I think that that's easily the biggest point of concern on the team right now. Uh, but I think that you know, Breeland is the one who I think we need the biggest season out of just because he's shown the ability to be an incredibly effective corner at the NFL level previously. I know last year he didn't look quite as good, uh, but part of that was because he didn't really start until the middle of the season. Um, and the other reason that I elevated him over the other two corners being Traverius Ward and Kyle Fuller, or Kendall Fuller, sorry, Kyle's his brother. Uh, you know, it'll, if Bashad Breeland does well, he'll play one of the outside corners, uh, and that'll enable Kendall Fuller to slide into the slot corner position where he's shown you know, an ability to be incredibly effective in the past, which is exactly what he did in Washington. Uh, and these two played very well together while they were there, so hoping to see more of that from them. Uh, number two uh, is another defensive player, Juan Thornhill. Uh, while the defense made a lot of additions over the offseason, I don't think that any position has been more impacted than the safeties. Uh, and I think that the Chiefs really do have the chance to be one of the best safety tandems in the NFL if Thornhill steps up. Uh, you know, we know that you know, Teron Matthew, we know what he is, um, and he's going to come in and do honey badger things, but it will be much easier for him to do so if Juan Thornhill is able to hold down the fort and kind of serve as that you know, kind of center field playing safety over the top uh, and allow Tyron Matthew to be the Swiss Army knife that he is and go out and just create havoc across the defense. Um, you know, I know Thornhill is a guy that people aren't talking quite, a, you know, t- talking quite as much about, but he can absolutely have an outsized impact on this defense if he can maximize his tremendous athletic abilities. I mean, the guy, you know, he ran a 4.42 uh, at the combine and then posted the highest vertical jump at 44 inches. I mean, if that doesn't show you explosive, I don't know what does. And he's also got tremendous ball skills. He had six interceptions last year in college, and if he could step up big this coming season, he's going to be the catalyst for an incredibly improved defense. And then the last person that I've got here uh, is Austin Ryder, uh, currently slotted as our starting center. Uh, and like I mentioned earlier, Mahomes looked the most mortal <laughs> when he took some significant pressure up the middle. Uh, and Austin Ryder will be taking over for one of the best pass-blocking centers in the NFL in Mitch Morse. Now, you know, we, we have all documented the fact that Mitch Morse you know, was very good but got hurt a lot and you know, had concussion issues. So there's plenty of reason for optimism here with Austin Ryder. I mean, even... In the limited sample size that he put in last year, he certainly rated at a high level, uh, according to Pro Football Focus. So Mitch Morris actually rated lower uh, overall compared to Austin Ryder, simply because Ryder showed much stronger as a run blocker, with Morris having the slight edge when it came to a pass blocking standpoint. But it was over such a smaller sample size that I don't think that uh, you know it's completely fair to say that Ryder is better than Morris, but. The fact that he showed it even for a brief period of time should give Chiefs fans a little bit more, uh, I mean, I guess cause for comfort, if you will, uh, knowing that he'll be able to slide in. And if he performs as effectively as he did last year, we'll have you know a similarly effective offensive line 
uh, at a much cheaper price than we would if we had re-signed Mitch Morris. It's quite an interesting list right there. Uh, my reaction, you've got a couple of offensive linemen there, Reader, uh, Ryder, uh, Irving, and Wiley, and I think those are guys definitely deserve to be on this list. Look, my biggest concern with this offense right now really is just the offensive line plus injury on your quarterback, and I think if that's the only concern or concerns you have with your offense, I, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a pretty good place to be in. I mean, look at the Patriots. What major? I know Brady did not have a great season, statistically speaking. He was just barely inside the top 10. Uh, but still, that's the Patriots at the end of the day. And again, what is your m- most biggest concern with the Patriots right now? An injury to Tom Brady, because we saw what happened when Tom Brady got injured, when coincidentally against the Chiefs and Matt Castle came in. Yeah, you won 11 games, but that was not enough that year to take you to the playoffs. Juan Thornhill, look, I'm very excited for this guy, and I'm glad you put him in this uh, list, because this is a guy who was in the top five in college football last year in interceptions and return yards, somehow did not find the end zone. I'm hoping he can do that a couple of times this year in Kansas City, uh, but man, I mean, this is a guy that I think, and I said this on Arrowhead Addict, I think he's going to be the best defensive player on the Chiefs in 2019. Not just the best rookie on the team, but I think the, I think the best overall defensive player. And I'm very excited to see what he does. Damian Williams, I won't get into because I kind of covered a lot of that. Um, although I will say this, I did for, uh, forget to mention when it came to, and I know some teams are excluded from this, some good rushing teams, but among the 12 playoff teams, the Chiefs were fourth best in rushing average yards per game. Uh, so that is one thing to keep in mind. Hopefully, maybe they found a bit of a rhythm after the whole Kareem Hunt incident. I don't know. But I think that's something to keep an eye on. You also mentioned Bashad Breland. Look, that's a guy who they wanted last year and they couldn't get. Same thing with Tyron Matthew, but you put Breland on this list. And, you know, he's obviously not as big of a name as Tyron Matthew. And I think with Breland... You know you're you're relying on him. You when I when I did my top five uh, for areas where you need to improve, and you mentioned Marcus Peters, and I think the Chiefs are still trying to recover from from the fact that they traded arguably a top five quarterback away. And I know Peters did not do very well last year, but as the season went on uh, in the second half, he did improve quite a lot. His Pro Football Focus ranking was near the bottom, and he was able to get out of that during the second half of the year. You're still trying to recover from trading away a guy who had more interceptions than any player in his first three years in the NFL. Uh, 21 total interceptions if you include the playoffs for Marcus Peters. Uh, that is not easy to to replace. Uh, and look, whatever the personal issues were, if you feel like it was that bad, you had to trade him away. Okay, uh, you know, there are people who make those d- decisions and not me. Uh, so I can't say much about that. But... That puts you in this bind right now. That's what I can say about that. So that's an interesting one. Uh, I would not have put Bashad Breeland on there. Uh, I, at least, I, I mean, immediate reaction. I don't know if I would have, but I think that's a very good choice to put on this list. I mean, he's shown over, I mean, really, he's had up and down seasons. So 2015 and 2017, he had good years uh, for both. But then, you know, the years in between 2016 and 2018 have been less stellar. Uh, so I think if he just has a chance to come in here and just be consistent, uh, if he steps up, I think that it's going to do a world of good for the Chiefs defense. All right, let's move on here and talk a little bit about this. Uh, so this past Saturday, June the 29th, 
uh, 36 years on that date in 1983, the tragedy, uh, the loss of Joe Delaney and two young boys. Uh, I'm sure a lot of people know the story. Uh, I mean, Joe Delaney, a guy who did not know how to swim, saw three boys drowning. He dove and tried to save them. He managed to rescue one of them, but unfortunately, he and the other two boys drowned. Uh, and it was just a very sad story, uh, and a sad story to learn about, even if you weren't alive at the time to have heard about this or, or had seen the media and how they reacted to it. Uh, look, in this heavily negative-filled world that we're in right now with our society, Zach, it is all, always important to you know remember a moment like this because, yeah, sure, it was a tragedy, but at the same time, it's a guy who knowingly knew he'd put himself in danger by diving into the water because he didn't know how to swim, still did it anyway because he thought of those three children before himself. Uh, when you see and hear about a tragedy like this, how do you try to bring a positive out of this? What do you try to do? Well, over the years, there have been ways where Delaney has been honored. Then president at the time, Ronald Reagan honored him with the Presidential Citizens Award. And when you look at Northwest State's football team, uh, their permanent team captain's award, it's uh, called the Joe Delaney Memorial Leadership Award, named in his honor, of course, as is the annual spring football game, which they call it the Delaney Bowl. Uh also, a golf tournament that generates a lot of support for the athletic program in his name. Uh, even important, more important, uh, Chiefs fans in Kansas City have helped put together uh, a foundation called 37 Forever Foundation, which works with the American Red Cross trying to provide swimming lessons for underprivileged children. That way they can prevent these kinds of incidents as much as possible. So, uh, obviously a very horrible situation that took place, but... You know, when you see an event like that, you know, how do you respond to that? How, how do you try to use that as a positive? Well, here's this foundation put together by fans trying to help kids uh, take swimming lessons, uh, trying to pay for that because maybe they're underprivileged or maybe their parents don't have the funds to uh, be able to, to provide that for them. And I think it's always a nice gesture to try to do that, to try to prevent things like this from happening because that is a serious issue. Um, you never want to see kids in that position having to be in the water or wherever it was. Uh, and have to uh, they have to lose their lives like this. I remember Leonard Pope, former Chiefs tight end, uh, a report came out that he you know, he had his wallet and his cell phone in his pockets, and he dove into a swimming pool to and it successfully uh, saved a kid from drowning. Uh, so it's good to see that there are fans out there that put together a foundation like that in honor of Joe Delaney. And he's absolutely someone that you. Know, should be remembered because this man you know had an incredibly promising NFL career I mean in his one season he did a tremendous job on the football field but I mean while by all accounts he was a tremendous football player this incident absolutely cements his legacy as a man which is to say you know he dove in without so much as a second thought uh, for these kids who correct me if I'm wrong I don't think he knew at all he just you know these were three kids that he saw in a life-threatening situation, and yes. he put his own life in jeopardy without so much of a second thought to be able to save these kids' lives. And, you know, if that doesn't just, you know, you know I mean, it cements your legacy absolutely as an incredibly high-quality human, and it's something that we should always remember regardless of, uh, you know, whether he was a football player or not. His is the sort of sacrifice that deserves memory without a shred of doubt. A lot of people get frustrated when, you know, especially during the offseason, these kind of topics always come up. 
you know, you talk about top five players of all time in franchise history or top five quarterbacks of all time in franchise history. Um, you know, I remember doing a, a Twitter discussion saying, okay, who are the top five running backs of all time in Chiefs history? And not a lot of people said Joe Delaney, which, look, understandable. He played, he had one great season, and then he had half a season. I can't remember if that was the NFL strike that same year, but uh, he, he's not on a lot of people's top fives. Um, my question to you is, you know, is this a guy who should be considered a top five running back? Because, look, you hear this a lot with injuries. You know, the best ability is availability. I don't think you can put someone in the top five just based on trajectory. I mean, look... I know Mahomes has already broken a lot of franchise records and has done a lot of things that a lot of quarterbacks haven't done, but you can't put him in Canton right now and say that he is a top five all-time NFL QB. Look, maybe he just ends up doing terrible. Hopefully not the case, but uh, you can never just project someone based on trajectory. And I think some Chiefs fans kind of want to do that with Joe Delaney, and I just don't think it's a it's a realistic way of ranking someone top five or saying that they should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Though to be fair, if you know if those are coming from a standpoint of you know let's elevate this man to that sort of status simply based on his character and his production in his brief time in the league, I can't really fault that. I mean, would I include him necessarily in my top five, uh, you know, Chiefs running backs of all time? I probably wouldn't. But does he absolutely deserve an honorable mention on that? He absolutely does. I mean, he you know again statistically speaking, if you were to do the trajectory and whatnot, you know, he would. It would certainly statistically belong, but I mean, the fact does remain that he only produced one season, and the reason for that is absolutely admirable. And so, would I fault anybody for including him in their top five? Nope, I sure wouldn't. But do I understand why many don't? Yes, I absolutely do. Before we get to our closing segments, let's read a few text messages. If you guys want to text in 913-808-2119, and if you want to react to anything Zach and I have discussed... He is at ZSteginga on Twitter. I'm at Farzine21 on Twitter. And my Facebook page is Facebook.com slash Farzine And got a couple of texts after not getting any last week. Uh, first one from the 336 Michael in North Carolina. He he asks, who do you think is going to be the biggest surprise uh, big performer this year for the Chiefs? I got Blake Bell. Kind of an interesting choice, especially with the tight end spot behind Travis Kelsey being wide open. And you know... In this offense, whether it's been Patrick Mahomes or Alex Smith, they love using tight ends. Not just the starting tight end, not your big-time Pro Bowl tight end, even the backup tight end. Uh, We've seen Demetrius Harris get used quite a lot in past years. Now he's moved on with Cleveland. I think Blake Bell's a good name. I'm trying to think of a name that I might throw out there. You know, Demarcus Robinson comes to mind right away because even though it's a crowded uh, group of receivers right now with Tyreek Hill, Sammy Watkins, McCole Hardman, uh, Demarcus Robinson has done some really good things in past years, and I think he is just bound to step up and contribute and do even more, even with a crowded receiving corp right now in Kansas City. Yeah, I think I'd go to the other side of the ball on that, uh, and I'll go with Darren Lee, uh, who he just got over from the Jets. I think that you know he was starting to really come into his own last year, and I hope that he'll be able to continue on that same trajectory. I think that he'll be able to, uh, you know, steal a surprise starting spot, even though most people have him penciled in as a backup right now. Jeremy, but I'm the, absolutely here for the belldozer. Like Mike, <laughs> you're you're on something there. Like I, I'm I would excited love to, see, to see him succeed there. Yeah, he did some interesting things in Oklahoma. Um, I, with Andy Reid's creativity on offense, I, I I'm excited to see what they're going to do there. 
Plus, I mean, that's two former quarterbacks that you've got now at the tight end position. So it'll be interesting to see what we, you know, see what comes of that. Well, I don't, I hope they don't get too creative. I mean, you remember that Giants game when they had Kelsey throw a football and I think that same year Tyreek Hill threw an interception too. So my favorite was the Dontari Poe pass though. See, I like that one right there. I mean, that that look. Even if the if the Travis Kelsey thing worked, yeah, we'd say it was a genius. But I think sometimes you, as a head coach, you got to know when to uh, pull out those uh, trick plays. Uh, moving on, Jeremy from the nine one three. Politically fun hypothetical with Giants fans booing Daniel Jones. Fun. Potentially fun. Uh, Daniel Jones getting booed at a, a recent Yankees game. I did not know this happened. Um, how would Chiefs fans have reacted if the Chiefs waited 30 years to draft a first-round quarterback and instead uh, of Mahomes, it was Daniel Jones or some other out-of-left-field selection getting booed? Um, something like this similarly did happen uh, in the when the Major League All-Star game was in Kansas City. They had the Celebrity All-Star game, and Matt Castle was a part of it. And he actually did get booed by by fans in Kansas City. So this has kind of happened before. Um, although I will say, yeah, but we didn't boo him the first year he came in. We booed him like you know he had already been on, here for a few years and proven that he didn't belong as an NFL quarterback by that. That's point. fair. Um, by the way, I know this is kind of off topic, but uh, before uh, Patrick Mahomes' first year, uh, his rookie year uh, with the Chiefs, when Alex Smith was still the quarterback. Uh, the Royals video board put him and his girlfriend on the um, on the video board for kiss cam, and he just kind of did this funny thing where he just kind of like shied away from his girlfriend. Uh, nobody recognized him. Nobody recognized that it was Patrick Mahomes uh, at the time. And look, he was a backup back then, so that's understandable. Um, how do I feel if this was Daniel Jones at Kauffman Stadium? If people reacted like that, I I don't know. Um, I mean, poor Daniel Jones. I don't really. I mean, it's not his fault he got selected. Uh, boo the management whenever they get put on the video board. I guess I don't know. Um, that's that's a hard one for me. To be fair, uh, though, I don't think that the Chiefs fans or Kansas City fans as a whole would have reacted that way. If you know, when if we had drafted him, he was our first you know first round quarterback since you know. What was it? Todd Blackledge was the one before that until we got Patrick Mahomes. Um, you know, I don't think that, I mean, I don't know that the Chiefs fans would necessarily be ecstatic about the pick because, you know, Daniel Jones still certainly, you know, there's a lot to be seen from him. Uh, do I still think he beats Eli Manning out? I actually do. But I don't think that Chiefs fans, I mean, well, for one, we're not nearly as vicious as New York fans as a terribly general rule, uh, though we do call. have our moments, let's be clear. Uh, but I, I think that. Yeah, the the optimism would outweigh the concerns at that point because I mean, frankly, it kind of has to. Um, you know, I think that it did the same way when we drafted Mahomes because at the time, I mean, I remember looking at him as like, man, he's got a big arm and he's pretty creative, but I never thought he'd be what he's been. So, I mean, I certainly understand why Giants fans aren't happy about it, but I don't understand why you boo the guy. I mean, you know, give him a chance to prove himself first, then boo him. The uh, last text we got comes from the 805. There's no name on here, but uh, what other players have made threats similar to Tyreek Hills and how long of a personal conduct suspension was it? The only one that comes to mind, and I forgive me, I don't remember the exact time frame when all of this happened with Larry Johnson. Uh, I know in 2009 he had the Twitter comments that got him in trouble. 
2008, he uh, he was suspended by the team four games for some of his off-the-field issues. Um, I do remember him, and I think this was an ex-girlfriend, where he said that he would F her world up as well as her new boyfriend's world. Um, that is considered a threat. Again, I don't remember exactly when that happened. I want to say that was in 2008 when the Chiefs did impose the four-game suspension. And maybe because the Chiefs did something about it, the NFL stayed out of it. Um, that's the only one that comes to my mind. Yeah, I really can't think of any. I think that, you know, especially given, unfortunately, the fact that Tyreek does have a past here, I think that that by itself puts this situation in a class of its own. And so I can't really come up with any solid comp for this, but for what it's worth, I think we'll see probably a four to six game suspension at this point, but we'll see what happens. All right. If you guys want to text in 913-808-2119, we are going to wrap up the show. Let's go around the NFL. Former Chiefs quarterback Alex Smith said in an interview, opened up for the first time since the big injury, uh, he still wants to play. Um, Doesn't know exactly when that'll happen, but he still wants to play in the NFL. Meanwhile, the Redskins, they drafted Dwayne Haskins. And look, I know a lot of people think Kyler Murray is going to be the rookie of the year, but I think Dwayne Haskins needs some coverage here. I'm not hearing much about him with the national media. And I think this is a guy who could do a lot of good things in his rookie year. And look, he's not the only rookie out there on the Redskins offense. Kevin O'Connell is a Red, is going to be the Redskins rookie offensive coordinator. His first year ever being an offensive coordinator. This is a guy who played behind Tom Brady. Obviously also played under Bill Belichick's guidance. I'm sure a lot of Redskins fans are kind of hoping for that experience to pay off with Kevin O'Connell. And having that Patriot knowledge and hoping that it kind of transfers over to Dwayne Haskins in his rookie year. I mean, I think that he was one of the you know underrated best picks in that first round. I think that as long as they don't really rush him into it, um, I mean, don't get me wrong, I wouldn't be surprised if he starts at some point this year. I don't think he starts week one, but I mean, even if he does, I don't think it's necessarily the worst thing in the world because I think that he is, again, he doesn't get the hype that Kyler Murray and others do, but you know, I mean, positive hype of Kyler Murray, he doesn't get the negative hype of Daniel Jones either, so he's kind of the unsung uh, rookie quarterback in this class but I think that he's in a very good position to be able to have some success there in uh, Washington so hope the best for the kid for sure this is pretty funny Cam Newton of the Panthers was caught on film offering a man $1,500 uh, in an airplane uh, because that man's seat had more leg room and they were getting ready to take off for this five, uh, 10 hour flight uh, the man, however, turned it down. Now, we don't know any other details. Did the man recently have surgery and needed that leg room? Was he with younger kids? I don't know. If the answer is no, why would you decline? Uh, Cam was visibly sad, walking back to his seat. Uh, now, it looks like it was American Airlines where they have TV shows and movies to keep you entertained. So, look, I, I, so you give me $1,500 on American Airlines where they have TV shows and movies to, for 10 hours? Yeah, I'm taking the 1500 some people in the comment section on Facebook said, yeah, I might even haggle and force 2000 out of him. But, man, that is uh, quite a lot of money to turn down for an airplane seat. I agree. But by the same token, I don't necessarily fault the guy for not taking it. I mean, would I have taken it? Yeah, probably so. But, I, I mean, by the same token, it was his seat, man. So I don't think it's that big a deal. I mean, I think that, you know, 
if it wasn't Cam Newton, literally no one would care. I, I just feel like, you know, that's a lot. If I'm sitting next to someone who I know, I, I'm going to say, look, I'll take the 1500 sit by, sit by this football player. We'll go shopping later. I, I mean, if it's your wife or girlfriend who might be upset, just, you know, make it up to her by using the 1500 to go shopping somewhere. Buy her something nice that she's always wanted. So uh, I think that's the one way to, to make up for that on a 10-hour on a flight. Uh, this is interesting. Uh, I saw this article on Pro Football Talk. Uh, so leading up to the NFL draft, his rookie year, General managers asked Saints running back Alvin Kamara to remove his nose ring. He apparently refused, saying that they don't get it. Uh, look, Zach, when you and I have had job interviews, we, you know, obviously we suit up nice with a suit and tie or maybe a little less casual and a polo shirt or whatnot. There's a reason why you look nice in those job interviews. In this case, meeting with a general manager is your job interview for Alvin Kamara. Um, you know, when it comes to tattoos, certain workplaces will have you cover cover them up using band-aids or wear long sleeve shirts. Athletes generally don't follow this kind of protocol, this non-written rule when it comes to a, a job interview or in this case meeting with a GM. Uh, look, I get it. It's a completely different field and all, but I think athletes should kind of follow that protocol where you should look more polished and more nice when you're meeting with uh, a team's front office member. I mean, yeah, I think that I, I don't know that it necessarily needs to be a rule or anything, but you know, do I think that it's a general instinct for most people to you know clean up a little bit for an interview? I do think so, but by the same token, I mean, clearly it worked well enough uh, that you know, look, if you're a GM and you passed on Alvin Kamara just because he had a nose ring in his you know in his nose when he was interviewing with you, and he went on to just shred you for hundreds of yards the following season, like that's on you as the GM, like. I think that to a certain level, and I think it's to a much higher level in the NFL specifically, it's less important what you look like compared to what you can do. And I think that in this particular case, like, I mean, do I understand why some GMs are like, nope, he wouldn't take his nose ring out? Yeah, I do understand it to a point. Would I have taken it out? I mean, yeah, I also just don't have one period. So I, maybe I don't understand quite to the same level, but I, I think that I think it's ridiculous if you're going to pass on talent based on something like that. But I also think that if you're someone who's talented, you want to put yourself in the best position to, you know, be able to maximize your opportunities. So just kind of a little bit of stupid on both sides, really. Let's move on. Time to go out of bounds. MLB all-star voting results are out. No Kansas City Royals or in the All-Star game, although uh, uh, pitcher Brady Singer, he will be in the Futures game. Now, Hunter Dozier uh, just lost out to Astros third baseman Alex Bregman. I did not realize Hunter Dozier was getting votes as the third baseman. Uh, but no Whit Merrifield, which was the big surprise. I mean, this is now, just for the starters. Uh, it was, that is true, yeah, just for the starters. No Whit Merrifield, though, uh, voted in as a starter. Now, I don't know exactly how he would have been. What, did you vote for the sack, or do you know how Whit Merrifield was considered? Because that guy's a utility player. He is a utility player. I think they had him uh, technically listed as a second baseman. Okay. But ultimately, I mean, this is just the starter's vote. So, you know, there's a reason that, you know, couple years back you know the Royals almost had you know seven of the what what we end up with seven of the nine starters or something like that because we couldn't get Omar Infante voted in 
or something like that. Well, uh, I remember they they had eight of the nine players at one point voted in, but it was not the end of the voting process. But I do remember that that was insane. Yeah, and it all comes down to you know what teams are having the best year with the most engaged fans because I mean that's a big part of the reason that you've not seen you know, some of the Royals have the success in terms of the voting that they've had on the field. I mean, Whit Merrifield's been one of the best in the American League without a doubt, but he lost out to, I believe it was the Yankees' second baseman, DJ LeMahieu, who got the uh, starting nod. But again, that's a fan base question. I mean, the Royals' fan base, I mean, of which I am one, I did not vote once for the All-Star game yet, just because yeah, the team has been so bad this year that I just have not been paying a lot of attention. And I think that I'm not the only one who can say that. So I think that's a big part of the reason why. I think you'll still see Whit Merrifield get voted in through the players' vote or the coaches' picks or whatever it is that they do from here. Whit Merrifield's going to be an all-star for sure. I remember um, the, the year you referenced where we almost voted in all, all the uh, starters. That time you could vote 25 times. Now I believe it's only five times. I remember the Royals promoted 25 times daily. Yes, 25 times daily. That's how bad it was. Or that's how crazy it was. Uh, says the guy who definitely took full advantage of all 25 on multiple days. So Todd Fulkerson, who is a man in California, he has come across some tough times. He and his mother, uh, health issues, money issues, his car went bad, and he was in need of a new car. So he opened a GoFundMe account. Uh, And because, you know, miracles do happen sometimes, uh, the website that he is a big fan of, which is Pornhub.com, their uh, Pornhub Cares industry came through and they donated a customized Volkswagen Jetta to Todd, who was a longtime fan of the website. In fact, he's actually been in a video, not like, you know, one of those kinds of videos, but uh, a reactionary video for their website. But hey, look, uh, comes unexpected from this website. But hey, uh, as long as you're doing good things, man, uh, I know people have a lot of uh, criticism for that industry, but you're not going to get any criticism from me on a, on, a, on a situation like this where you are helping a, a fan of yours, a longtime fan of yours, uh, in a big way, giving him a brand new 2019 Volkswagen Jetta. Yeah, I mean, that's good on him, I guess. I don't know if he was a you know frequent user or what, but, I mean, good on him for you know, coming through for some random guy on a GoFundMe page. Like, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it pays off to watch... Uh, Watch those videos online. Uh, but moving on, this is very interesting. Uh, U.S. Uh, women's soccer team, which have been doing very well, uh, their co-captain, Megan Rapino, Rapino, excuse me. Rapino. Rapino, okay. Uh, she has had this odd back-and-forth battle with Donald Trump because she kneeled during the anthem and she won't visit the White House. She will visit uh, the House of Representatives. Instead, she accepted an invite from them. Look, I know a lot of people have their, uh, a lot of athletes, that is, have their issues with the president. Um, I know people are saying this is different than the NFL or NBA because you're representing your country. Uh, I don't think playing for your country means you have to visit the White House because I think there are valid reasons as to why people are upset with the sitting president right now. But let me say this. There's a reason why athletes still visited past presidents even though they did not agree with them on everything. On the other side of the coin, though, Presidents have always met with teams. Then, in front of the media, and players and coaches on stage, they give a they give a speech before serving cold fast food to these players. Let me say this about Trump because he keeps insinuating that these athletes aren't patriotic and they disagree with their president and don't want to attend. 
so here's my thing. Why don't players on social media say that not only will they attend, but because they're not happy with some of the things he's done, they're going to want to talk to him about it face-to-face when the team does visit the White House. I know that's not what they're there for, but hey, look, as a high-profile athlete winning a championship, I think you should take that opportunity to confront him with issues and talk about things. You can do it in a professional manner. It doesn't have to be negative. I think at that point you need to be able to take advantage of that, and athletes really haven't done that. By the same token, I mean, I think that you know, when, especially whenever it's the question of, you know, oh, it's, you know, is it patriotic or not? You know what? This is America. You know, it is, you know, there's a reason that we have this listed first in our list of amendments, and that's the right to free speech. Do I necessarily agree with speech on either side? Not always, but do I think it's completely fair to make that sort of a statement? I do. I mean, do I think that there were, you know, there's obviously ways it could have been better handled on both sides here, but you know, I I never can really fault an athlete, especially whenever they're using their platform to, you know, get some sort of a message across regardless. I mean, look, that is their, you know, they they've earned that stage, you know, if they care enough about a cause to, you know, take on all of the flack that comes with it by using their stage to put that message forward. I can't really fault him for that, but would I have handled it differently? Yeah, I probably would have. Let's go on and throw our penalty flags. The Los Angeles Lakers and Magic Johnson, they barely don't know the rules. Reports have stated that Magic Johnson, formerly with the team's front office... He would be present in the recruiting process in meeting with free agent and NBA Finals MVP Kawhi Leonard. Magic Johnson cannot be in the meeting. He is not an employee of the Lakers. Other reports, by the way, have stated that LeBron and AD will be part of the recruiting process. AD is not officially a Laker yet, so I don't know how that's going to work. But look, AD and and, and, uh, Magic, they can still call him and keep it between them that, hey, look, they, they called and spoke and all. Now, look. Magic Johnson, he obviously threw the Lakers uh, general manager uh, under the bus, uh, Rob Palenka. I mean, that whole thing went public, and it was pretty crazy. But for Kawhi Leonard, man, this is his first impression of the Lakers, and he knows that they're going to go all out trying to recruit him, but he is looking at this right now and saying, well, they they don't really know how to go about it. I don't think it's going to make an impact, but come on. He's got to look at that and at least laugh at the Lakers. I mean, how can you not? I mean, this like... I don't want to say you have one job, but in this case, this is certainly on the list of most important jobs. It's the same reason that, you know, we didn't, uh, you know, the Chiefs didn't retain John Dorsey. Like, you know, he had one job, manage the cap, uh, and he didn't do that. And in this case, you know, they messed up managing the cap. Palinka did that. Uh, but then, you know, not knowing the rules for who can, you know, meet with potential free agents and who can't. Like, come on, this is not that hard or shouldn't be. So... Yeah, penalty for like well deserved here. They just need to, you know, get their collective stuff together for sure. UFC lightweight champion Habib Nurmagomedov. Do you know who he is, Zach? Habib Nurmagomedov? I mean, I think I've seen him fight once or twice. Do you remember the whole Conor McGregor incident where he went and like threw a, a, a chair and a dolly at a truck? Or at a, at a bus, excuse me? Did McGregor do the throwing of that or was. McGregor I'm not did. I tried to butcher his he name. He did that okay, that's, uh, about a yeah, year Yeah, I do and remember ago. seeing that. Yeah he, yeah, he like chucked a chair through a bus window or something. Yeah, yeah. He was going after Habib. Now, Habib ended up just destroying him by the time the two finally fought. 
And then he was the guy who jumped over the cage and a massive brawl ensued right after uh, Habib won. Uh, he shared a video on Instagram tagging the NBA. Uh, it's a video of him and his friends playing a pickup basketball game. He gets the outlet pass and then he makes a long range three pointer after taking eight steps, never dribbling. Look, I know he uses his hands to punch people in the face. He's an undefeated fighter, but come on, dribbling a basketball is not anything. If you can make a long range three, you damn sure can go out there and dribble a basketball down the court. I mean, Eurostep? Question mark? No, this is absolutely like you can't make any excuses for this. Like, come on, you know the rules. Like, this is just absolutely ridiculous, but pretty funny to watch. I'm not going to lie. Looks like the kid who, you know, is just learning how basketball works, except this is a grown <laughs> man. So I, I've seen family friends post videos of their kids playing basketball, like three year old, four year old leagues. And none of these kids want to dribble. They just want the ball and they walk straight to the hoop, which is pretty crazy. This is pretty. Fun I mean, we see. can't pretend that like, you know, the kids have the right idea in that. Yeah. My job is to get this ball in that hoop. Okay, I'm going to do that the most effective way I know. You didn't tell me I have to bounce it, but, you know, that is part of the game, and you should know that if you're a grown adult. If it's a, You know, when it's a kid, that's funny. But when you're an adult, like, come on, man. Okay, this is a preemptive flag here. Zach, they're going to be a lot of idiots. Not only are they going to blow off their hands on the 4th of July, but they're also going to write a Facebook or a tweet saying... Happy uh, birthday, America. America's 2019 years old. Uh, Spoiler alert. um, America gained its independence on July the 4th, 1776. So therefore, America's 243 years old. Uh, But these are the same people who, you know, take issue with kneeling for the anthem. And they think that English is the official language when there is no official language. These are the same people who uh, wanted to boycott Chris Evans movies because uh, he was going to drop his Patriots fandom because of a political difference with him and Tom Brady on on Donald Trump. Oh, by the way, number one all time in the box office. That worked. Same people who said... Dude is literally Captain America too. Like, you can't call him unpatriotic, right? Like, that's a rule. Yeah. (laughs) Being Uh, sarcastic in case you couldn't hear that. uh, Look. uh, Why are are people not smart? Let me rephrase that. Why are people dumb? Because... You've got to know, like, at the year, I mean, you think, like, right at A.D. or B.C., that's exactly when America was born? No. That's not when America was founded. But apparently people do not remember their high school or middle school history whenever you learn this kind of thing. Stupid is very hard to fix, Fars, and this is just yet another example of it. Well, that's the point of this uh, penalty flag segment. We, uh, We point out those kinds of things quite a lot. Speaking of stupid, Zach, we have something called... The Hot Take of the Week segment. This has been actually a pretty fun segment that uh, we started doing uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, So you might be wondering, what is a hot take? This is where you have an opinion against conventional wisdom. You don't have to be angry about it, but it's kind of uh, one of those things where you're going against the grain. Uh, You say one thing, a lot of people uh, may not agree with you. A lot of people feel a certain thing about a certain subject, but you are going the opposite direction. So that is what a hot take is. An example would be, I love traffic. That is a hot take. Pretty crazy opinion, but nonetheless a hot take. Uh, Zach, do you have a hot take for this episode this week? You know, I'm really struggling to come up with one. I've been thinking about this, but I'm just like, I mean, 
you know, I was kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel last week when I said the Pelicans were going to get into the playoffs before the Warriors, man. Like, I'm running out of hot takes. i got to work on this. I mean, it doesn't have to. Yours have all been sports-related. Uh, it doesn't have to be sports-related. Mine is definitely not. Mine is movie-related. Uh, oh, let's so hear go, it then. What's that? Let's hear it then. Okay. What do you got? Um, are you going to go see Spider-Man this week? Spider-Man Far If From I have Home. time. Okay. I mean, don't get me wrong. I definitely want to go see it, but... It's not like the Avengers where I've already got my tickets booked for opening night. Like That is true. I uh, mean, I didn't have them booked you know, this early in the week for the Avengers either, so I just don't care that much about movies. Have you seen the other Spider-Man movies like uh, The Amazing Spider-Man or just regular Spider-Man 1, 2, and 3? Yeah, I've seen them all, both the Andrew Garfield and uh, Toby. Is Toby Maguire in that the guy's name? Yeah, Toby Maguire is Everybody in the Everybody hates one. on him for it, but like, I didn't think it was all that bad. Well, here is my thing. Uh... The uh, Spider-Man's 1, 2, and 3 with Tobey Maguire. The three worst movies I have ever seen in my entire life. Hot take. I mean, to be fair, when they came out, you know, I think I was like 7 or 8. It was just like, neat, Spider-Man, let's do it. Like, the first one with the Green Goblin, I didn't mind that one. The Venom one was a bit of a stretch. But, I mean, I don't know. It wasn't that bad. You know, It was before superhero movies had really gotten good, so my standards weren't quite what they are today. Now, let me say this. The action scenes in those movies, I enjoyed. I really liked. But what's a big part of the Spider-Man movies? The love angle or the love interest or in this one in uh, Spider-Man's 1, 2, and 3. Is, spoilers coming up, by the way, if you haven't seen these three movies. Um, the big love interest is Mary Jane, who goes by MJ in a lot of these movies. But, yeah. my God, man. Uh, and I don't, I don't know the name of the actress. Kristen something? Kirsten Dunst. Kristen Dunst. Okay. She had to have at least said something and said, man, you guys make my character look very easy. Because in the first one, she's in love with Flash. And then she goes to Harry. And then while on a date with Harry, she kisses Spider-Man. And then not knowing Spider-Man and Peter are the same people, she kisses Peter later on. I mean, this woman had absolutely no limitations (laughs) with who she fell in love with. And by the way, the whole notion of falling in love look i get it in high school you maybe have a different idea of what dating and love is like but my god i mean they just threw the word yeah the I fact love that you. this is supposed to be a high school character too like that's ridiculous i yeah. never really put that together until later but it's like yeah those people do not look like high school kids at all but the thing is like they just threw the words i love you like it was not a big deal at all uh the second one she um well, Peter turns her down, but then wants her back in the second one, which is dumb. But she is with somebody and ends up getting engaged to that guy. But she still has feelings for Peter and at one point asked Peter to kiss uh, to kiss her. It's like, what is going on in this movie? And again, it's a big part of the, the that storyline is a big part of Spider-Man's 1, 2, and 3. She then at the end of it becomes a runaway bride and runs back to Peter. And then in the third one... She's with Peter, but does go back to Harry for one night and then leaves Peter and Peter's with someone else briefly. It's just, I almost got tired of this. I almost stopped watching because of this. At this point, it's like, you know, I I, I think the creators could have maybe approached the whole love angle thing a little bit better. You look at the amazing Spider-Man with Andrew Garfield, who, by the way, in my opinion, was the best Spider-Man. Uh... Peter Parker's love interest in that one was Gwen. Plus Emma Stone. Yes. I actually thought that was a very well done angle with the whole Spider-Man story. Um, 
the Spider-Man Homecoming yeah, one. the way that ended, it was tragic, man. Yeah. It was awful. Well, spoiler on that one, too. But in the uh, Spider-Man Homecoming... I didn't spoil anything. Um, That was kind of interesting. Not terrible, but it wasn't great either. I'm interested because in Far From Home, they're introducing MJ, which is who this love interest was in the first, in the uh, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. But, man, Spider-Man 1, 2, and 3... Look, I, I still say watch them, but my gosh, those three movies were terrible. Uh, this is a hot take, by the way, because on Rotten Tomatoes, they put together the 12 best action series. So number 12 is Iron Man's 1, uh, Iron Man's one 2, and 3. Number 11 is Spider-Man 1, 2, and 3. Uh, number 10, Jackie Chan Police Story. Not familiar with that. Number nine, the Sean Connery James Bond films, uh, which would be Dr. No from Russia with Love, Goldfinger, Thunderball, You Only Live Twice, Diamonds Are Forever. Um, Number eight, IP Man. Number seven, Indiana Jones. So all the five Indiana Jones movies. Ip Man, it's called. That's Bruce Lee and his stuff. Ip Man is what that's called. Oh, Ip Man. There you go. Another one I'm not familiar. Sorry, just, just learning your things. Number six is The Avengers. So one, two, three, and four. Uh, Captain America number five. They should have just put all the MCU ones together. Uh, I think that's kind of a weak way to put them together. John Wick, one, two, and three, already announced number four. Number three, I like this series, but I don't know if I would put it this high. Uh, the Planet of the Apes movies. Um, number two is Dark Knight. The original ones or the newer ones? The newer ones. The newer ones. Uh, and then number one, Mad Max. But yeah, Spider-Man, uh, huh? I would not put that on there. But this is kind of a really terrible list by Rotten Tomatoes, by the way. This was out earlier this summer. These are the top 12 action series. Yeah, I have a lot of comments on that, but I'm just going to kind of keep that to myself because, my <laughs> goodness, like, I don't want to just say that they're wrong with a blanket statement, but, like, so much more is wrong than right with that list. Okay, I have to admit I have little familiarity with this series, but... What it need for speed? Doesn't that deserve a mention here? You think? I mean, there's a lot of things that deserve a mention. I mean, if they, you know, they put the Sean Connery James Bond above the Daniel Craig one from an action scenes perspective, that's ridiculous. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Sean Connery. Like, his Bond was better than all the other Bonds. But, like, come on, man. From an action-specific standpoint, not a chance. You know um, what movie, I, uh, what series I definitely would have included on here? Uh, the Jason Bourne movies. The five Jason Bourne movies. Absolutely. That, I was completely shocked. Uh, not on the list. What is, like, your biggest omission from this list? Oh, that's a tough call. I mean, the again, the fact that they split out the Bonds, you know, I would absolutely say that not having Daniel Craig's James Bond on there is a massive omission. Um I don't know. I'm trying to think, and you know, wasn't totally prepped for this question, so no, I'm sure I'm missing enough. things there in the back of my head. But you know, yeah, without a doubt, the Daniel Craig James Bonds. Uh, I'm trying to pull up the hot takes that we uh, got uh, on Facebook. They didn't get any, any tweets, and to be quite honest, the Facebook ones are not very good. Alan says, "In the USA, really a free speech country. If you say something that one doesn't agree." Uh, it may still be your opinion, but you lose your job. He's referring to Hank Williams, Jimmy the Greek, Marv Albert, and this week Kevin Keatsman. Not a hot take. 
Um, Patrick says, why do people believe a media outlet over actual evidence from investigators? Not a hot take. It's a good question. Just not a hot take. Daniel says the Chiefs will sweep the AFC West. Is that a hot Honestly, take? To you? That's a pretty that's a that's hot to me, man. Like I I think that we can go five and one, but sweeping that may that means we sweep the Chargers and I don't know if you've paid attention to them, but their secondary is pretty nasty. I mean, I, I think that, you know, that's a team with which we split, but to sweep the AFC West? I mean, I'd love to see it, don't get me wrong, but I can't say I would uh you know, put money on it. Our good buddy Enrique, he has always some interesting hot takes. Uh, hot take, he says, with the hashtag. Um, Patrick Mahomes will throw a touchdown pass with his left hand through his legs this year. I don't, I, okay, I don't even know. That's. I, I don't know what that is. I don't know if it's a hot take, but I'm not I mean, sure. It'd be impressive. Yeah, that, I think that's chance. an impressive take. Um, yeah, I don't know. Enrique has like the most interesting ones. I think last episode he had the one where... It, what was it like? Whoever died in Endgame is going to come back in. I, I forgot what he said. Something like Pet Grave or something. Oh yeah, Pet Cemetery. Pet yeah, Cemetery. Um, but I mean, <laughs> hey, I gotta say, he clearly gets the segment. Like, I the, suppose. these are absolutely hot takes because that's yeah, that, uh, that is certainly unconventional wisdom, uh, or certainly goes against conventional wisdom. I guess I should say. Uh, so. By our definition, that one does get to be included. I know this is still a young segment, but I guess people are still learning. Hopefully you guys are kind of picking up on it right now, but some of these hot takes, definitely not hot takes, but hopefully we can get better submissions uh, in the near future. Again, you can uh, tweet Zach and I at Farzine221 and Z Stegginga. Uh, also, I'm on Facebook, facebook.com slash Vesugian. And you guys can call in 913 913- 808-2119 or just text it. That's what most people have been doing. So 913-808-2119. Uh, Zach, do you want to give any last uh, safe wishes for 4th of July fireworks shooters Guys, this weekend? They come with instructions. Follow them. Don't, you know, I mean, in- enjoy the 4th. Don't drink so much that you can't follow the instructions effectively. <laughs> That's a good call. And just, yeah, don't pull a Jason Pierre, Paul, you know, go into work on the 5th or, well, more realistically, the following Monday because not a lot of people probably want to work that Friday. Probably, yeah. But go into work with all of your digits still attached to your hand. This isn't that hard, but, yeah, just don't make the news is, I guess, a better way to put it. All right. There you have it from Zach Stegna. Public service announcement from Zach Stegna. All right. Now we're going to wrap Add this up. Add that list of things I never thought I'd be the poster boy for. No, never. Um, I will be in Vegas. I will not be shooting off any fireworks. I might see a few on the 4th. Uh, more importantly, I will watch people punch each other in the face at UFC 239. That'll be fun. Until then, we'll be off for about a couple of weeks uh, since it's the off-season holiday early on. So Zach and I will take some time off from the podcast. But we'll be back sometime before the middle of the month. Not exactly sure of the date, but uh, we'll uh, we'll kind of take a break from this. And uh, we'll be back. Until then, subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Podbean. And share the links as well. I'm Farzine Vasugan. He is Zach Stegnall. We will talk to you later this month.